You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. This is Bloomberg Law with June Grosso from Bloomberg Radio. Frank Sinatra was a man. No, he was the man. And he loved Jack. Jack, as in Daniels. On stage every night. Three rocks, two fingers, and a splash of water. So Frank... This one's for you. That's the nectar of the gods, baby. Frank Sinatra would often hold up a glass of Jack Daniels on stage, contributing to the popularity of the country's best-selling whiskey with its iconic shouldered bottle and its 150-year history as a Tennessee whiskey. Any wonder that Jack Daniels' properties would take offense at a chewable dog toy mimicking its signature whiskey bottle and bearing the label Bad Spaniels, the old number two on your Tennessee carpet. Jack Daniels says its trademarks are being infringed, but the Ninth Circuit ruled that the toy maker, VIP Products, was entitled to First Amendment protection because the dog toy was an expressive work. Now the Supreme Court has agreed to review that decision in a case that will test the reach of trademark rights in the face of First Amendment claims. My guest is intellectual property litigator Terrence Ross, a partner at Catton Rosenman. So, Terry, tell us about the basic legal fight here and the history of litigation. Well, June, a number of years ago, a company called VIP Products, which puts out novelty toys, especially for dogs, came out with a dog toy called Bad Spaniels that mimicked the classic Jack Daniels whiskey bottle for its old number seven. Jack Daniels' parent company, Brown and Foreman, not surprisingly, sent out cease and desist letters to VIP Products. And VIP Products brought a declaratory judgment action in Arizona seeking to obtain from the court a ruling that what they were doing was not a violation of the trademark clause. The district court had a bench trial, which is a trial without a jury, and ruled that it was trademark infringement. VIP Products took that case up to the Ninth Circuit, and the Ninth Circuit reversed, saying that the dog toy is a, quote, expressive work, and it's protected by the First Amendment. Jack Daniels took that decision from the Ninth Circuit up to the Supreme Court in 2021, which refused to accept the case. So the case was sent back to the district court, which entered a judgment on behalf of the dog toy maker, VIP Products. Brown and Foreman's Jack Daniels company appealed that decision to the Ninth Circuit, which affirmed it without even writing anything. And in sort of a Hail Mary, the company 
took the case back to the Supreme Court a second time. And to everybody's surprise, on November 21st of this year, the Supreme Court granted certiorari on the case and has accepted it for review, which was quite surprised in the trademark law field. This involves the Rogers test, named after Ginger Rogers. Explain a little bit about that test for us. The Rogers test is judge-created rule that comes from a 1989 case called Rogers versus Grimaldi. It involved a Federico Fellini film called Ginger and Fred that was about two Italian cabaret dancers. And the reference in the title to Ginger and Fred was to Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire, obviously. Everybody understood it to be that, and that's what Federico Fellini intended it to mean. So Ginger Rogers brought a lawsuit against the producer of the movie, alleging that they weren't allowed to market the movie using her name. And the case went up on appeal to the Second Circuit, which is the federal appellate court for the New York area. And the court said, no, this was okay here. And they said specifically, it was okay to use a celebrity's name in an expressive work if it's artistically relevant to the work and not explicitly misleading. And that rule became the Rogers test and expanded beyond merely the use of celebrity names, which was the narrow holding in the case, to more broadly to the use of trademarks in expressive works such as movies, books, songs, that sort of thing. So is that the test that the Ninth Circuit used in ruling for the toy company here? It is. And it represents one of the very first times that an appellate court has ever applied the Rogers test to a commercial product. The Rogers test was expressly directed at so-called expressive works and was not intended to apply to commercial products such as the dog chewy toy here at issue. And so that was a bit of a surprise in and of itself. And now we have to assume that the Supreme Court has accepted this case in order to consider whether the Ninth Circuit was right in applying the Rogers test. Because if the Rogers test is applied, that's sort of a a low bar. It's a threshold issue. You don't have to then go into whether there's consumer confusion in the marketplace. That's correct. The Rogers test is intended to protect the legitimate First Amendment interests that creators of expressive works have. And indeed, you think about this in terms of something as simple as a film review. If you need to do a a review for the newspaper, magazine, television of a new film that's been released, you have to mention the name of the film. So there has to be some realm of protection emanating out of the First Amendment, even though you're using trademark names. The question is, how far does that expand? So this is the very first time that the Supreme Court will consider in the trademark context as opposed to the copyright context, what sort of First Amendment protections there are that limit the applicability of trademark law. The toy company here also sells parodies of other popular alcoholic bottles, including Stella Arpaugh, which mimics designs from beer maker Stella Artois, and Heinzniffen, which resembles Heineken. So are there any other suits like this one? Indeed, this same company put out a chew toy for dogs that was in the shape of a beer bottle that had the title on it, Budweiser, and looked very much like a Budweiser beer bottle. And Budweiser did not want its beer being associated with people's bottoms and went to court, sued, and won. And that product is no longer on the market. Similarly, there's a case in the Fourth Circuit that's so similar to the case here that it's almost shocking. It was a a lawsuit in 2007. The caption was Louis Vuitton versus Haute Diggity Dog. And it was about a 
Chewy Vuitton dog toy that was put out as a parody of Louis Vuitton's trademarks. And the Fourth Circuit in that case did not even deign to consider the Rogers test. It simply said, look, the way you approach a case like this is to consider whether or not consumers are likely to be confused that somehow this Chewy Vuitton dog toy is put out by Louis Vuitton, the fashion house. And that's the way you approach this. Indeed, it just went back this morning. Look, the Rogers test is not even mentioned by the Fourth Circuit. So in a very real sense, the Ninth Circuit is the first federal appellate court to consider and to apply the Rogers test in the context of a commercial product such as a dog toy, as opposed to applying it only with respect to expressive works like songs, movies, and books. So do you have any idea why the court decided to take this case the second time around? This is exactly the problem that many of my friends in academia have discussed with me. We don't really know why all of a sudden the Supreme Court wants to look at this. And, you know, that raises fears. The only difference in the law between 2021, when the court rejected this case the first time, and November 2022, when the court decided to accept it on second go-round, is that the composition of the Supreme Court has changed. And it only takes four votes amongst the justices to hear a case. And we've had at least, I count, if I've got it right, two new justices seated since then. So one can't help but wonder if that is the driving force here, is that the new justices have a different view of how trademark law should apply. But the fear amongst academics and practitioners who follow this very closely is that the Supreme Court might start with a much bigger picture and ask, does the Rogers test even exist? The important thing to remember here is that there is no Rogers test in the Lanham Act, the trademark law. It was created by Judge Newman out of whole cloth in 1989 in Rogers v. Grimaldi. It's judge-made law. And there's also this fear that there's a number of justices on the court now who are antithetical to um, judicial lawmaking, who believe that that's the province of Congress. And they arguably have some support in that thinking. And they may be wanting to revisit this. Remember, in the Copyright Act, this would be handled by the Fair Use Doctrine. Fair Use Doctrine is statutory. It's actually in the Copyright Act. There is no equivalent here in the trademark law. So one fear is that the Rogers test may not be accepted by the court. This will be the first time the Supreme Court has ever considered. Does the Rogers test even exist? The second question that I think if they agree that there is some sort of Rogers test, what is the makeup of that test? I mean, it's a fairly simple test, you know, with respect to expressive works, is the use of a trademark artistically relevant to that work and not explicitly intended to mislead? And then if we get past that, the third question, which I think is the one that they absolutely will consider, is does the Rogers test apply to commercial products? Because in its classic iteration, it's limited to expressive works. And a dog chewy toy does not constitute, (laughs) in my book, as an expressive work. Does this then have the potential to be a landmark case? Oh, this is going to be a landmark case, almost no matter what the court does. If they say there is no Rogers test at all, that it was just made up by a judge and that isn't the way we uh, govern in the United States, then that's a landmark issue. If they say that there is Rogers test and then lay out what the test exactly is, that's a landmark decision. If they go so far as to say it applies across the board to trademark use in all commercial products, not just expressive works, that's a landmark decision. So, I mean, this is going to be a really big case coming out of the Supreme Court. One of the 
most significant trademark cases in quite a few years, for sure. And it's the second IP case the court has taken this term. We've, of course, discussed the suit against the Andy Warhol Foundation over his print series. Thanks so much, Terry. That's intellectual property litigator Terrence Ross. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So, there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer was among the Democrats who condemned former President Donald Trump for calling for the termination of the Constitution over his disproved claims that the 2020 election was stolen. Now he's calling for an end to America's constitutional democracy. Donald Trump is out of control and a danger to our democracy. Schumer asked his Republican colleagues to speak out against the Trump comments, but their reaction was muted. My guest is Kenneth Gross, senior political law counsel and consultant at Aiken Gump. He wrote on Truth Social, a massive fraud of this type and magnitude allows for the termination of all rules, regulations, and articles, even those found in the Constitution. Do you think these kinds of comments are planned at all or just reactive on his part? It's hard to say. It doesn't sound like a lot of thought goes into it because it it blew up. You know, it's one thing to say ignore rules, but once you start touching the Constitution, you're at the third rail. And uh, that is not a good place to go. (laughs) (laughs) The response was kind of weak from Republicans. Republican senators focused on the remarks themselves and the importance of the Constitution. I didn't hear anyone say, oh, this means I won't vote for Trump when he runs for election. It seems like they're getting closer and closer to saying that because the criticism is becoming more directed at him than at just the remarks, or it's more difficult to separate the two. So I I am hearing more and more senators, really in the last 24 to 48 hours, Senator Toon and others uh, are uh, becoming more vocal 
in their unhappiness with statements like this and connecting them to the speaker of the statements, in this case, Mr. Trump. So, you know, I think maybe it's moving like the uh, like the lava from Mauna Loa and Hawaii, but it seems to be going in that direction. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy has yet to comment on the post. But in what may be a case of bad timing, on November 25th, McCarthy tweeted that on the very first day of the new Republican-led Congress, we will read every single word of the Constitution aloud from the floor of the House, something that hasn't been done in years. And yet, do we expect to hear anything negative from him on this? No, I think uh, McConnell, you know, there is some speculation that he may say something. McCarthy, I have not heard anything from him or any statements that he plans to be making. So it, it would be speculative to say that he would come out and say anything other than, uh, you know, what he has said historically, which, of course, doesn't relate to these comments directly. The controversy intensified, so the former President Trump returned to his platform. Basically, he insisted that he didn't write what he had written. The fake news is actually trying to convince the American people that I said I wanted to terminate the Constitution. This is simply more disinformation and lies, just like Russia, 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 and all of their other hoaxes and scams, with a lot of capitals employed there, as he likes to do. Deny what's been said has been something that has sort of worked for him, hasn't it? Absolutely. Uh, You know, he's had many strikes at the plate, and none of them have resulted in him being struck out. So um, it's something that we will hear probably over and over again. And if the heat gets really intense, he'll just direct the marks at those who are criticizing him. So I think uh, it's hard to even comment on it. You know, saying that somehow the Constitution should be set aside just patently is not going to work. So he says it, and then the next day says, well, I didn't mean that. It's the media that's uh, characterizing it that way. We've seen this show before. We've been living with Donald Trump uh, politically since 2015, and uh, he's continued to uh, amaze both in some of the things he's said and done and also the fact that nothing seems to stick. Do you think the Republicans' fear of speaking out against him is because of this rabid MAGA base that no matter what, I mean, Trump said early on that if he shot someone on Fifth Avenue, no one would do anything to him. That seems like it's becoming true almost. So nothing he says will make any difference to them, it seems, so that the Republican Party is bound to him. There's no question about that, you know, that those that are running for office or looking at their political standing within the party, they don't want to alienate that part of the base. And it's significant enough and continues to be significant enough where uh, people are uh, very careful in what they're saying. An Economist YouGov poll released last week showed Trump at 36 percent and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis at 30 percent in a potential Republican primary field. But does anyone have a chance against Trump with the base that supports him fervently? Well, if there's uh, a number of candidates in the field, that will certainly uh, improve former President Trump's chances. You know, perhaps if it narrowed to a one-on-one, you know, DeSantis, Trump, the base versus those uh, others in the Republican Party, it would be close, as that poll seems to indicate. But it's not going to be a head-on contest between the two of them, most likely. There'll be others in the mix. And 
that certainly helps uh, Trump. The more there are in it, it's a replay of 2015-2016 in the way that he won the nomination there. Speaking of a replay, yet another runoff in Georgia to determine the Senate and Senator Raphael Warnock won over challenger football star Herschel Walker. Democrats already control the Senate, but the result in Georgia will have an impact. The impact on a 51-49 Senate is very significant. You know, I understand that right now the Vice President uh, Harris can break ties and the majority is still in the Democrats' favor. But when you have a 51-vote majority, you get a majority on every committee of Congress. You can move things out of committee on a a partisan basis, whereas with a 50-50, it's an equal number on each committee. And in order to move legislation, it slows the process down significantly and may even require to go to the full floor so the vice president can participate. Also, the budgets for the committee are skewed in favor of the party and majority. So the Democrats will have more money and more staffing, you know, to handle their uh, process, which is significant. Uh, And, you know, it also raises the question of the power of moderate uh, Democrats, such as Manchin and Sinema. Um, Are they in a position to hold a vote hostage and the answer is no. Even if the two of them are together, you could, you know, they could create a possible tie. And those two, you know, don't agree. It's certainly difficult for the Democratic leadership and Schumer. But this gives enormous increased power to Schumer over a 50-50 Senate. And I think that even though this is being characterized, well, the outcome is not going to um, change who controls uh, the Senate. It will be the Democrats either way. The difference between 51 and 50 is very significant in all the processes, including moving judges through the process and other presidential appointments. There have been all kinds of scandals and questions surrounding Herschel Walker, even whether he lives in Georgia or in Texas, where he filed his taxes. So why do you think this race was so tight? Well, Herschel Walker, at least in his TV ads, and I think in a lot of his stump uh, speeches, uh, has tied this election to Biden. Uh, Raphael Warnock, not so much. Uh, He's talked about what he's done for Georgia voters and uh, some of the other issues that are more local. And uh, Biden still is not that popular in Georgia, even though he won the presidential election against Trump in Georgia. But uh, his popularity has sunk since then in Georgia. So, you know, Walker just says, you vote for me, and it's a vote against Biden and to stop the liberal Democrats. And there's still a decent amount of people who that resonates with in Georgia. I I still remain a member of the Georgia Bar and uh, came to Washington back in the 70s from Georgia, uh, going to law school down there. And while things change down in Georgia, you know, there's still a very strong red representation in that state. And just aligning yourself with the Republican Party is enough to get you a large chunk of votes, even if you're not the most stellar candidate. I didn't know you were from Georgia. Well, I'm not originally from Georgia, but I went to Emory Law School and I came to Washington with Jimmy Carter back in 1977. That gives you those qualifications in my book. I guess. (laughs) The Walker campaign kept 
former President Trump away from this runoff except for one event, a Zoom event. And Biden stayed out of the runoff as well. Former President Barack Obama went in to try to rally the voters there. Is that good strategy on both sides? Yes, I think so, actually. I think that both strategies were good. Uh, I think, you know, President Obama is very popular. Uh, he's a great in getting out the vote, which is what uh, the Democrats need more than anything in Georgia. And keeping uh, Trump at a distance uh, probably helps Walker. So I think a lot of good political strategizing on both sides of the aisle there uh, came into play. It's not only exhausting for Georgia voters, but it must be exhausting for Warnock. He's had to run basically four times in two years. Five. Five. (laughs) He's been on the ballot five times for, as he says it, for the same doggone job. (laughs) (laughs) That's so true. Thanks so much, Ken. That's Kenneth Groh, Senior Political Law Counsel and Consultant at Aiken Gump. And that's it for this edition of the Bloomberg Law Show. Remember, you can always get the latest legal news on our Bloomberg Law podcast. You can find them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at www.bloomberg.com slash podcast slash law. And remember to tune into the Bloomberg Law Show every weeknight at 10 p.m. Wall Street time. I'm June Grosso, and you're listening to Bloomberg. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.